0: Welcome and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. I noticed there were quite a few new folks this morning and we were expecting you. Uh, That's why we had the coffee on early and uh, I guess there were some donuts and cookies and stuff like that as well. That's the least important, but it's important of what we had prepared for you. Ever since New Life began 16 years ago, our goal has been to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And one of the things that I was aware of on Monday night, we had our, our fireworks display here on Monday night, and there were about 1,400 people on the property, and they tell us about 400 from here down to the end of the street and about four or 500 down at the uh, uh, elementary and high school and another couple hundred here and there. And, and actually, probably the best use of the traffic circle, there were tons of people sitting on the, <laughs> the bank of it. Uh, and that's just a sort of, a, I don't know if the tra- traffic circle is going to work. I'm guessing it will. But anyway, uh, there were probably 2,500 people. But each of them is one person special to God. And we talked last week, um, I mentioned that 28,000 people got saved at a, you know, at a place over in Africa when they had a week-long uh, crusade, but 28,000 people didn't get saved as 28,000 people. Each one of them has now a relationship with Jesus Christ, and each one of them needs to grow and develop in that. And uh, one of the things that I heard last night, I've been hearing stories all week about the fireworks, but. Uh, One of the families from our church came at 8:30 to the to to the building or to the property here, which meant they didn't have a place to park. So they just drove up the road and they parked somewhere else. And there were a bunch of people there. And as they were sitting in their lawn chairs, somebody who he didn't know, a member of our church, you know, said these two ladies were talking. And one lady goes, "You should go to that church because they're obviously rich." (laughs) And uh, and he turned around and he said, "You know." The church, you should go to our church because it, it, we are rich, but in ways that have nothing to do with money. And I thought, wow, that's a great answer, you know, because we're rich in the Lord. We are rich. I mean, if you're an American, uh, statistically, you're a very rich person $38,000 a year. If you have that much money, you make that much money, you're making more than 95% of the people in the world. So we're very wealthy financially, but much more importantly, we're rich in God, and and that's really all that matters. And so this week, we're starting a new series. As you saw by the bumper video, it's called Divine Direction. It's all about choices. And, I, you know, uh, we have the ability to find out about just about everything instantaneously. We just pull out our little phone, you know. It's not really a phone anymore. It's a computer, all that. Go on the Internet and, you know, Google, like, how many choices do I make every day? And the answer is thirty-five thousand. Thirty-five thousand choices a day. Now I didn't believe that. In fact, I still—I'm a little bit not sure I believe it because think about that. We're, if you're up eighteen hours, that's not quite seventy thousand seconds, which means that you're making more than one choice. You know, well, you're making basically one choice every two seconds. And i have thought about that. Well, I guess it's possible. It's possible that we make one choice every two seconds. If the first choice is, like I wake up in the morning, this is, a, this is only one choice. And I get up or do I stay in bed? Okay, that's a choice, right? But after I get up, then do I take a shower or do I not? You know, Do I wear clothes or do I not? Those are all easy choices. But when I decide to wear clothes, which is what I choose every day, um, whenever we choose to wear clothes... Then that's where the many choices come in, right? Like which shirt do I wear to church on Sunday? And you might notice I don't wear many churches, different shirts. I have a lot of different shirts, but most of them I'm not allowed to wear because they don't show up good on the on the the film, you know, that we too. So like I'll wear a shirt and I'm told you can't wear that one anymore. Can't wear that one anymore, can't wear that one anymore. So they're making choices for me, you know, and it's a good thing because I want people to be able to see, you know, and not be distracted. But basically, I have dozens of choices of what to wear every day. I think you probably do too. I mean, I have like eight choices just of what pair of shoes to wear. Um, and so that's, if that's eight choices, I guess $35,000 is not hard to believe. And Cornell University spent money to do a t- study on how many choices we make about food every day. Guess how many? 226.7, the average American adult, just about food. So how do we know how to decide and what to decide when we have a choice to make, since there are so many. And obviously, some of the choices are very important. At least on the surface, they seem very important. You know, what career am I going to choose? Am I going to get married or am I not going to get married? Um, should I take that job in another state? It's a promotion, but then my family's going to be uprooted. Those are very important questions. And we know up front, those, we need help with those questions, those choices. But what about the average choice? Like, should I go to camp this weekend or should I go to worship? Should I spend $5 on a, you know, a special cup of coffee or a pack of cigarettes today or not? And those don't seem like they make any difference, but think about this. If you chose today, instead of buying that $5 cup of coffee or a pack of cigarettes, you put that in the bank at 5% interest, and you did that every day for 30 years, that would be $127,011 in 30 years. That's a lot of money. Even if you just took that $5 and put it in your piggy bank, it would be $54,750. So small daily choices over time have a great impact. So we decided, when I say we, that's Pastor Mark and Pastor Brad and I, when we put this series together, we originally decided to call it Choices. And that would have been a good choice um, because we have a lot of choices to make. But then we realized that there's something that we need when we're making choices. It's God's help. And so we changed the title to Divine Direction. I got a little help with that, th- with that title because Pastor Greg Rochelle just came out with a book called Divine Direction. And, and its subtitle is very interesting, Seven Decisions That Will Change Your Life. And those seven decisions all are just one l- word long. So the first choice is start. The second choice is stop. The third choice is stay. Fourth choice is go. The fifth choice is serve. The sixth choice is connect. And the seventh Choice is trust, and the first two and uh, pairs are actually opposites because sometimes we need to choose to start doing something in our life, and sometimes we need to choose to stop. You know, sometimes we need to choose to go somewhere, and sometimes we need to stay where we are. I mean, we need to. You know, sometimes the choice is I have this great opportunity in California, and do we need to take that? Well, we don't know. We don't know unless we ask for help from God. And the the great thing about help from God is in my life, I found that this book right here, uh, it gives you a lot of guidance. In fact, this book we call the Bible, it's not really just one book. It's 66 different books written by many different authors who all had one thing in common, divine direction. They all had the Holy Spirit guiding them And telling them what they were supposed to write as they wrote. And so that's why we call it God's Word. And so anytime we have a decision to make, we know if we go to this book, we're going to get some really excellent help. So one of the things that we're going to do during this series is we're going to start off today by going to that book. And we're going to look at this one particular author and something that he had to say about wisdom. And this author's name is Paul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. His original name was Saul. He was actually not always an apostle. He actually started out, as we all do, as babies. He grew up as a Jew, and he actually grew up as a Pharisee. And he was a scholar. We would say that probably Saul, as he was known, and actually he was from the tribe of Benjamin, and the first king of Israel was from the tribe of Benjamin, and his name was Saul. I'm guessing that Saul was named after King Saul. And so anyway, he grew up as a Pharisee. He studied the Word of God. He probably memorized the whole Old Testament. Think about that, the whole Old Testament. He probably had it memorized. And he made a choice. It was a very serious choice that when Jesus came to the earth, died and rose again, went back to heaven, and the church began, Saul decided that Jesus was a fraud, that he was not the Messiah, and that he was gonna stomp out the church. Saul didn't just make a choice, he acted on that choice, and he was very deliberate in making sure that Christians were arrested. And and actually, when Stephen, the first Christian who was martyred for his faith, was martyred, Saul was standing there, nodding his approval at what was taking place. And so, imagine Saul's surprise, when he went one day from Jerusalem to a town to the north called Damascus, and he had in his hands documents which gave him permission from the leaders in, in Jerusalem to arrest the Christians he would find in Damascus and bring them back to prison. While well, he's on the way on this trip to Damascus, and all of a sudden this bright light comes, and God, not just God, but Jesus, speaks to him. And that interaction changed Saul's life Forever. In fact, it left Saul blinded for three days. I imagine during those three days, he went on into Damascus because Jesus told him to go. And he waited for three days until this guy named Ananias, who was a Christian, came to give him further instructions and to give him his sight back, which is a very important detail. But, but anyway, imagine how many choices Saul had to make during those three days. I'll bet you it was more than 35,000 a day. And here's the thing that we have to realize. Saul's choices changed history. In fact, if you follow along in the outline, that's the first point in your outline, that when the apostle Paul converted to follow Jesus, the direction of history changed. When Saul became a Christian, one of the things he did, he changed his name to Paul. And why did he do that? Because in a Gentile world, the name Paul was a Gentile name, and so Gentiles were just non-Jews. And so Paul would fit in better with the people he was going to be um, witnessing to, the Gentiles primarily, Um, then with the name Saul. So he changed his name. But Saul, who became Paul, eventually took the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation to the entire known world of his day. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And without a doubt, Saul's choices changed history. And and you're probably thinking, well, that's good for for Paul, but my choices aren't going to change history. What difference does it make what I choose what I do with my life? Well, let's go back to that $5 a day that you can spend on you know, coffee or cigarettes or whatever you want to, what if we instead would redirect that $5 to supporting orphans? Let's say through Southeast Asia Prayer Center, one of the mission organizations we support. Well, if each of us did that, well, each of us who would do that, it would be three orphans would be supported. And if half of us who come to New Life, so 400 of us did that, that would mean 1,200 children in Cambodia or some other country would have their eternal destiny changed. Because they would have food every day. They would have clothing to wear. They would have a shelter where they could live and be safe. They would have education. And more importantly than anything, they would have house parents who would tell them about Jesus. So imagine that, that little choice of $5 a day, 400 people, 1,200 lives changed forever. And I'm not saying that God's telling us to do that. All I'm saying is that our choices have far more influence than we realize. And, and a seemingly very small choice might change the eternal destiny of you for, to start with or me or our loved ones or people that we are never going to meet on this side of heaven. So one of the best ways to promote thinking God's way is to ask questions. I don't know if you realize that, but when we ask questions, oftentimes it, it allows us to think and it will help us to think in the direction of God if we have God you know, in the sphere of influence in our life. So for example, when Saul was on his way to Damascus, Jesus didn't, you know, peer in the sky and say, hey, Saul, how are you doing? In fact, he didn't give him any greeting at all. He asked him a question. The question was, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a powerful question. Now, Saul did not know who was speaking. He he didn't know it was Jesus. He wasn't a Christian. He was the farthest thing from it. And yet, Saul understood something. This was not an everyday occurrence. This was something very powerful. And so, his answer, Saul's answer, was, Who are you, Lord? You see, he didn't know if it was God or who it was, but he knew it was somebody that he needed to give a respectful title to because this was not, this had never happened before. Saul was, you know, Saul was wondering what's going on. And Jesus said, "Uh, It's Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And then he gave him instructions, as I said, you know, go into Damascus, wait until I give you instructions. And, and Saul was told by Jesus that he was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles, which would be the farthest thing that, from Saul's mind, you know, who eventually became Paul. He would never, ever, ever have imagined that he would go talk to a Gentile, let alone tell a Gentile about Jesus. But his world was righted, his world was turned, his whole perspective was changed by that first, by the question, and then by the direct interaction between him and God. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start asking ourselves a question. In fact, life's most important question. What is that question? I'm glad you asked. Uh, It's part of our take-home point for today. For those of you who are new, we seek to make one point in our messages every week. And here's this week's take-home point. The most important question is, what is the wise thing to do? What is the wise thing to do? Now, why would I say that's the most important question? Well, do you realize that there's a book in the Old Testament, and the whole book is devoted to wisdom and making wise choices? The book was written by the wisest man who ever lived before Jesus, King Solomon. Its book is called Proverbs. In fact, the next three messages in this series, it's a four-week series, the next three messages are going to come right from the book of Proverbs. But today, as I said, not from Proverbs, but from one of Paul's writings. In fact, it's going to come from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. This book has been very important here in New Life. In fact, back in 2014, we took seven weeks to go over seven verses, one verse each week, from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21. And we called that series Wise and Careful Living because we realized that if we want to live a a life that's meaningful, purposeful, a life that glorifies God, then we need to live it wisely. And even back then, we talked about this most important question. If you're here, you might remember, you know, what is the wise thing to do? So if you have your Bible... Or you have your Bible app with you. Would you please open it now to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to turn to verse 15. And oh, by the way, we actually looked at this verse just three or four weeks ago during our Holy Spirit series. Because Ephesians 5.18 has a very direct statement about the Holy Spirit. It says that we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit in an ongoing way rather than just once and done. When we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we receive God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of God comes into us when we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the thing is, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. And so Paul tells us in 5.18 that we're supposed to be filled over and over again with the Holy Spirit. But that's getting ahead of it. Let's look at the text, Ephesians 5, 15-18. It will be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word for your truth. We thank you for the wisdom that you have shared with us and it's been preserved for us down through these many, many centuries and millennia. And God, today, my prayer is simple. I pray that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might receive your wisdom and that we might be given your divine direction for how we can make choices that will matter, not just for today, but ultimately for eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you are following along in the outline, the first point that comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 21 is, every time we make a choice, we have a choice. Be wise or be fools. Now that sounds a little bit harsh, doesn't it? That every choice we make, we're either going to be wise or foolish. But that's really, that's really the only choice. We can make wise choices or we can make foolish choices. And the Apostle Paul made that very, very clear. And if we're making 35,000 choices a day, and 226 just with food. <laughs> we want to make good choices. Now, the food choices aren't nearly as important as our relationship choices, as our choice of what we're, going to, what we're going to do with God today. But even what we don't eat or what we do eat, that can have an impact, again, over time in our physical health and well being. So, how do we know what God wants us to do when we have a choice to make? Well, many times the choice is going to be intuitively obvious. We're not going to have to, I mean, we're not going to have to pray for hours to know what's the wise thing to do in a certain situation. For example, uh, many of you are students, and so you're off school for the summer, so you have a lot of free time, right? So tomorrow, for example, you're going to get up, and uh, here's the first choice you have. When am I going to get up? Five in the morning? (laughs) Six? Seven? Eight? Ten? One in the afternoon? When? It's a multiple-choice question, isn't it? I I mean, it is a multiple-choice question. When am I going to get up? And, And so... What is the wise thing to do? And you're thinking, well, I know what you're going to say. You know, it's, it's probably wasting my time. It's a foolish thing to, to sleep in until 1 in the afternoon. <laughs> yes, it is. You're right. I, I do think it's foolish to sleep in until 1 in the afternoon unless you work night shift. If you work night shift, then it's a wise thing to sleep until 1 in the afternoon. But unless you're working night shift over the summer, then it's a, not a wise thing to do. Now, I am not saying... That you, you need to get up at 5 in the morning on every morning in the summer it, to be wise. Although Benjamin Franklin did say early to bed, early to rise makes a man, I would assume woman too, healthy, wealthy, and wise. But when we get up matters because time is a precious gift from God. And so it's intuitively obvious that it's not a good idea to sleep until 1 in the afternoon. But when do we get up? Well, you know, let's ask God that question. He probably has something to say about that. Remember when we did the series on, uh, on the seven deadly sins right after Easter? One of the things was sloth. And what did it say there? It didn't say sleeping was a bad idea, rest was a bad idea. What it said, a little extra slumber, a, a little extra sleep, a little extra folding of the hands to rest brings poverty. So if $5 a day adds up to 125000 or 54000 depending on the interest rate, over 30 years, Imagine what will happen if we wasted two hours a day every day. I know, I I did the math. It's 18 40-hour weeks in one year if we just waste two hours a day. So it's very important what we do with our time. So let's look at another point that Paul makes in Ephesians 5. Now, he doesn't make this point directly. I'm, I'm drawing it out of what he says. Our choices compound because the days are evil. Paul said this, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So how do our choices compound in evil times? Well, think about it. If you make a good or a bad choice and the times are neutral, those choices are important. But if the times are already evil, then whether we make a good choice or a bad choice really compounds because we have an atmosphere around us that's evil. Now, where did that come from? Why does Paul say the days are evil? He says that because before human beings came to the earth, the angels had a fight with God. Well, not all of them, but a third of them, the devil, which we call, I mean, his name was originally Satan or Lucifer, I guess. Lucifer was his original name, means light. And Lucifer wanted to be God, and so he rebelled against God, and a third of the angels agreed with him, and they had this rebellion, and they were cast down to the earth. And because of that, this realm is the realm of Satan. And so Satan has the opportunity to influence our lives. And you know, Satan hates us. He really hates God, and he knows that God loves us, and so he just plays around with us because he knows that will upset God. And we've said this many times. The devil doesn't usually just say, here, why don't you go out and kill somebody? I mean, we wouldn't do that. But what he does is he deceives us. Deception is taking a lie or or something evil and wrapping it up in a bit of truth, a bit of beauty, a bit of goodness, so that we see that on the outside, but we don't see what's on the inside. And it's when we make the choice, it's, it's a little too late by the time we've made the choice and we've already sucked into the devil's trap by that time. So um, let's look at this thing about when we're in the midst of these evil times and how our choices can, you know, compound either for good or for bad. So let's say right now that this afternoon you have a half an hour of free time. Half an hour, I know I'm talking a lot about time. It's because time is a precious commodity. I mean, we can make more money. We can't make more time, right? So we have a half an hour of free time. And you know what? A lot of people say, well, I have a little time to kill. <laughs> That's a bad thing to do with time. Killing time is not a good thing because you don't get it back again, right? Now, I'm not saying resting is a bad thing. Resting, t- resting means, I mean, I take a nap, about a 25-minute nap almost every day, uh, mainly because I got white hair and I get tired about 2 in the afternoon. I take a 25-minute nap. And uh, that's not killing time. It actually rejuvenates me. And the rest of the day, I'm far more productive than if I didn't do that. Um, so 25-minute so nap, that's a good thing to do with a 30-minute free time, you know. Um, but the other thing is, let's say you have 25 minutes. Here's what a lot of people do with tw- or 30 minutes. Here's what they do. They get out their phone and go, I'm going to check my email. Well, I'm going to play a video game. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get some information. How many choices do I make every day? <laughs> and so we look that up. And that could be a good thing. But it can tend to go in a different direction because, you know, the devil, what I, when I was growing up, the devil's uh, plans were in black and white, believe it or not. Television, you know, in black and white. The commercials, they were in black and white. Now they're in color and now they're in my pocket. And, and so he can lead me that direction with this little device. On the other hand, I have 30 minutes well, first of all, if I have 30 minutes, this is what I do. I say, God, what's the wise thing to do? I mean, that's really what the whole thing is. If I'm going to make a choice, what's the wise thing to do? And sometimes the wise thing to do is to pray for that 30 minutes. Sometimes the wise thing to do is just to wait. You know, the Bible says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. So sometimes, isn't that awesome? Ringtone. That's what I'm talking about. God, what's he want today? You know, I don't know. Uh, So, I do know. He wants us to wait on him. He wants us to listen. He wants us to pray. Or, maybe we say, maybe I should get out my Bible app and read the Bible for a half an hour. Do you know what happens if you read the Bible a half an hour a day for a year? If you're an average reader, you read the whole Bible. So many people over the years have said to me, you know, Pastor Chris, I've always wanted to read the whole Bible. I said, well, sit down and read for a half an hour. Every day. For a year. And it'll be... That'll be it, you know? So there are some wise things we can do. Now, it doesn't have to do with praying or reading the Bible. What if you have a friend or a loved one that you haven't talked to for a while? Maybe the last time you talked to them, there was a little uncomfortable feeling, you know? So you could get out your phone and you could call that person, you know? Could be a parent, could be a child, could be a cousin, uncle, could be a friend, coworker, whatever. And just say, hey, I was thinking about you. I just wanted to call, you know, say hello. Or maybe restore a relationship. And I know maybe you wouldn't use actually this part. Maybe you would just use your fingers and text. That's, I guess that's okay. You know, it depends on how old you are, which, which way you're going to communicate. But communicate. Let somebody know that you care about them. I mean, every time I do this, every time I have a few free minutes and I call somebody, you know what happens almost every time? Thank you so much for calling. Or, you know, it means so much that you called. That, that really will happen Often. If you take the time to do it, because here's what I know happens. We have friends and we say, you know, I should talk to them or I should get together with them. And a week passes and a month passes and a year passes and years pass. And those relationships that used to be so close, they're gone. And we can't have, you know, a hundred best friends. But one of the wise things to do in life is to have friends. And they take, you know, they take effort and work. And so that little 15 minutes 30-minute span of time instead of next time you have that playing a video game or you know, checking your email, why not call somebody that you care about? Okay, so the next thing Paul says, our souls seek to serve something. Our souls seek to serve something. We say this often at New Life because the Bible teaches it that human beings are made up of three parts. We have a body, the physical part, which we can see. We have a spirit, which is the part of us that comes alive when the Holy Spirit comes in whenever, you know, when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But the other part of us is called the soul. That's our mind, our emotions, and our will. And our souls were created actually to serve God. They were created by God to serve him. But when we rebelled, when I say we, our ancient parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled and sin came into the world and, you know, and the devil was in charge of our lives until Jesus becomes Savior and Lord, our souls are still going to serve something or someone because that's how they were created. And what Paul says is this. It's very, very important that we remember that since our mind is probably the most uh, recognizable part of our soul, that we fill it with something good. Because empty minds are indeed where the devil works best. And here's how Paul put it: He said, Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So when we ask ourselves, What is the wise thing to do? we always know one thing that isn't wise: having an empty mind, you know, not thinking. In fact, we used to, when I decades ago when I was a youth pastor, we had this guy named Tom in the youth group, and he did so many dumb things. I mean, literally more dumb things than the average person. And every time he would do a dumb thing, he would turn to me and say, "Chris, I didn't think." And I was like, "Duh, no kidding." Yes. And how many of us, when we do dumb things, will say, "I didn't think," right? What Paul says is, stop that. Stop not thinking. Understand what the Lord's will is. And here's what I know. The more we read this book, the more our minds and our, and our hearts get filled up with this truth. And when we're sort of, you know, how we talk about we're sort of like mindless activity, we're doing something where we don't have to think, the more our minds and our spirits ultimately, our souls, are going to tend towards God. In fact, in Ephesians 5, 19 and following, it says, when the Holy Spirit's in charge of our lives, what happens? We sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs in our hearts. So maybe, have you ever done this? You're just, you know, you're doing some activity, mowing the grass or whatever, and you're not really thinking about anything, and then all of a sudden you're singing a praise song. Did that ever happen? It happened. It used to not happen to me, but it happens to me a lot now. In fact, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, as I've said many times, you know, with a headache or whatever, and, and there's actually a song in my in my mind, in my heart, I guess I would say. That's what God wants to have happen, and that will only happen if we fill it up with this truth in the first place, if we fill it up with good things. The wise thing to do is to fill our minds with the things of God. So, the last thing we're gonna look at today is about the Holy Spirit, because, you know, how are we gonna fill ourselves up with the things of God? The best thing to do is to fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is always available, to guide us. That's the last thing that we're going to talk about from this text today. It says, Don't be drunk with wine, Ephesians five eighteen. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if we're wondering what is the wise thing to do and we genuinely have no clue, then the best thing to do is to ask God and to ask him to fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us guidance and direction, right? We get guidance and direction from the Holy Spirit when he fills us up. And it says there, there are two things. One thing is we're, we're not supposed to do. Don't get drunk with wine. Another word for wine and alcohol is spirits, right, small s, spirits. Don't get filled up with spirits, but fill up with the Holy Spirit. And, and we know what happens when we go in the direction of spirits, other drugs. What happens is it eventually takes over our soul and our body, and, and, and it's called addiction. And, and, and nobody, I've never met anybody who said I wanted to be an alcoholic when I grew up. I wanted to be a, a drug, addict, drug addict when I grew up. But what people do tell me all the time, because I've talked with a lot of folks in that situation, is, you know, I moved to a new town and I just wanted to fit in. Or, or I wanted to fit into this certain group at school. Or I saw my par- parents do it, and so I figured if my parents did it, it was a good thing. And, and those kind of things lead little by little by little. Small choices become big choices. And so how do we overcome that? Well, there are two basic ways that I know of, that we overcome any addiction in our life, and Saul or Paul understood it. The first is to get filled up with Jesus, and which means get filled up with the Holy Spirit and let the Holy Spirit work. And the other is to have community, to have people that care about us, that that people that you know come alongside us and partner with us in it. Here at New Life on Thursday nights, we have Celebrate Recovery. It's a, a it's a Christian twelve step program that people get together around whatever is their hurt habit or hang up. And they let God help them, and they help each other. And that's how we can overcome that part. But let's focus on the positive here. When we're making a choice, and we ask ourselves, what's the wise thing to do? And it's not intuitively obvious, or it isn't a- available in God's word right away. We don't, maybe we don't know the word. It's there. Then we just ask God to give us help so that we can make the next choice right choice. In fact, one of the things I know from working with um, primarily guys who have been in recovery is that one of the things NA and AA says is this, do the next right thing. That's just the same as make the wise choice, right? What is the wise thing to do? And God is the one who gives us wisdom, and he has given us the opportunity to make wise choices. So we have 35,000 choices a day, plus or minus. What are we going to do with them? Here's the commitment that I hope we'll do this week. It says, I will ask myself, what is the wise thing to do before making decisions and commitments this week? What's that going to look like? Well, it's going to be challenging if you're not used to doing it. It might even become annoying. Christian, seriously, you want me to ask God what's the wise thing to do? Like what shirt I should wear, what pants? No, that, that kind of stuff, you know, that's one of those intuitively obvious things. But when you're going to spend five bucks, yeah, you should ask God, what am I going to do? When you're going to, you know, hang out with somebody. Is this the wise thing to do? Should I hang out with this group of people or this group of people? Because who we hang out with shapes who we become over time. Is this the wise thing to do? And, and am I going to eat my, you know, I mean, I, I go home this afternoon. Nancy told me she's going to bake a blueberry pie sometime this weekend. So my question is going to be, should I have three pieces or two? No. Really, it should be. Am I going to have one piece, right? Just one. Okay. And, and, and how big is that one piece going to be? See, little choice. <laughs> Ends up with big consequences over time, right? So all the choices this week filter through this lens. Every time I have a choice, I'm going to say, what is the wise thing to do before I make my decisions and commitments this week? So let's pray and ask God, the author of divine direction, to give us wisdom for the coming week. Almighty God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you do give us wisdom and that your word contains it. God, we pray that every time we have a choice to make this week, that you will point us in the direction of the wise thing, that you will fill us with your Holy Spirit, God, right now and every moment that we can bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.